You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Good afternoon and welcome to the podcast. Shouldn't you be at work? Great performance. UK doesn't win it with that. We should fold our tents and silently steal away. And Love. Oh, and Love, he's got a real chance now. Peter and Love. John Walk will take the penalty. Up goes Dion Dublin. Unknown goal from Braddock. Ball by Frank here for Kiwabia. Panister and Bruce in the queue again. Bruce! You know where I am, if you want to say goodbye. Now, you know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, oh, no! Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin Will He Score. I am Chris Skoll. Joining me, Josh Widdicombe. Hello. And some say his version of CM9798 ran for so long it became self-aware. <laughs> Others say that he followed the trawler hoping that sardines will be thrown into the sea. It is Michael Marden. Hello. Can we crack on with some correspondence? I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the Electronic Post Bag. You've got mail. Right, Richard Pullen. I would like to nominate Swindon Town for having two quintessentially Alan Partridge-esque sponsors during the 1990s. Number one. Castrol GTS. <laughs> Don't think the influx of Swindon Town fans would have resulted in soaring profits. Partridge wears yeah. the Castrol GTX uh, yeah, jacket the to the funeral, and it's absolutely <laughs> priceless. God, I love Alan Partridge. Uh, their, um, se- their second sponsor, GWRFM, local radio station with the proud slogan of No Rap, Less Chat. That is amazing. <laughs> I can't wow. believe they had a no slogan, rap. No Rap, Less Chat. That's, that's almost a racist policy. <laughs> is it still going, GWRFM? Because it's, it's think... called UKIP FM. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Stuart Reeves is, has been in touch. He's an Aldershot Town FC fan. He says, in the first year of the resurrection of the club, the club decided to set up a raffle, the winner of which would be the first team shirt sponsor for Aldershot Town FC in 1992. Surely that's not season. the way to make the most money, is it? Or maybe so it what is. they did, instead of going for one sponsor, they raffled a bunch of tickets. Is that what that... I suppose like? they thought they'd make more money that way. Yeah. Be exciting if Man so, that, wouldn't it? all the local businesses were canvassed and the winner was Pam's Florist. <laughs> oh, great. A fine florist, no doubt, but possibly not the outcome everyone was expecting. And he sent in a lovely picture of the, the Pam's Florist logo. Oh, wow, adorning that's great. Town FC, um, shirt. I, lo- I like those local ones. The other ones that you still see when you go when I go to Argyle yeah. or um, like lower league is because those sponsorship boards must be so cheap. Yeah. yeah, at lower league grounds, you get yeah. such niche local businesses. Yeah, I can't believe that you're making any business out of a sponsorship board at Crawley Town. My dad had an advertising hoarding at um, Upton Park in did the nineties. Yeah, and uh, he did it for a season. When it ended, I was like, I want the hoarding. Yeah, I go yeah, like, but they, yeah, yeah. They, there was no system what, to what kind of get dad's? it. What was his it was called advanced rewinds, like electrical kind of engineering. Right. But, but the, it's on TV when when Michael Hughes scored uh, to deny Man United the title. The, the the season it went to Blackburn. Yeah, and it was all that focus on West Ham Man United. His sponsors massively is down that end oh, of one wow. scoring. But I don't no traction. Like, one, no one is watching that going. Oh, you know, I need like an old electric motor rewound <laughs> while I'm watching no Michael track. Hughes score. <laughs> um, the yeah. uh, the only one I vividly remember is when Letizia scores that goal. Uh, it might be against Blackburn. Yeah, and Tim Flowers is in goal, I think. And um, it's Street Fighter Two Turbo or Street Fighter Three yeah. is the sponsorship. Yeah. yeah, I was actually going to go out the following day and buy Mortal Kombat, but after that goal. <laughs> Got one more email. This one is Got from one. Rory Courtney. He says, Hello, gents. About eight years ago, my mates Nigel Craig and I were sitting in work chatting about those footballer-named crisps that Walker's released some years ago. Smoky Beckham, cheese and onion, etc. Yeah. Well, cheese and onion is just cheese and onion, isn't it? Do you not remember Clive Cheese when he played for West Brom? <laughs> well, we thought Walker's efforts were frankly poor. Choosing the two most high-profile players in the country is lazy, mm, yeah. nor does it impress the man on the terrace. It's just too easy. Coming up with crisp flavours in which you can shoehorn an obscure 90s footballer into the name, on the other hand, now that shows dedication to the concept and an in-depth knowledge of the game. Yes, please. So that day, we decided to throw some suggestions back and forth, which resulted in a compilation which we are confident you will agree is brilliant. So... At this point in the email, I was thinking, this is going to be rubbish. Like, this isn't going to be good. Well, yeah. I, I, I was, <laughs> yeah. well I feel like a fool. <laughs> Let me we begin. have some bed underneath this Yes. One. Okay. Here we go. Beef Gillespie. <laughs> Onion Haji. Mark Fish and Chips. Yes. Cajun Squirrel Regis. <laughs> Cajun Squirrel? <laughs> Dave Booster Sauce. Baked Bream. Peter Stilton. Gilda Builder's Breakfast. <laughs> Who's that? Ledley Gilda Builder. Who's Gilda Builder? Gilda Gilda Build. Oh, Gilda, Gilda Builder. Oh yeah. Um, Ledley King Prawn. Yep. Roast beef and musto. I'm having that. This That's is a good this one. could be the best one. Ham and pineapple. Oh, Sam Ham. I'll deep my ham. It doesn't specify. It could be either. Roast Ricken. Sean Cock Teal. Roast lamb and minto. Steve McCold <laughs> onion. Van der Sauer cream and chive. 
Tony Dorito. Yes, this is a brand rather than a flavour, but it's just too good to leave out. Thank you very much, uh, Robbie Courtney. Tony Dorito is my favourite. Yeah, Robbie Courtney, Nigel Aiken, and Craig McMullen. Thank you for that. We're hoping to get Tony Dorito on the show. <laughs> and when I texted you, it did correct to yeah. Tony Dorito. <laughs> You know, I'm not going to ask listeners to do more crisps, but if you've got any, like, hey, I think everyone loves a pun. Yeah, if you can think of a theme bars. for a bunch of 90s puns, and yes. if they're good enough, they're getting on. Yeah. yeah. Right. This week, we haven't got necessarily a player who's been spotted, but Michael Foster's been in touch to say, at school, he had James Beatty's Latin textbook. Wow. Uh, An empty textbook. He'd written his name into the front of a book a few years earlier, and some fans were keen to get their hands on wow. it. Wow. I mean, keep them coming in, guys. Do you know um, Ellis James, who we had in the first series, um, a huge fan of Gorky Zygotic Monkey, the Welsh psychedelic rockers, and the main guy, Eros Childs, he managed to, he bought off someone who worked at the school, his art GCSE project. Oh, wow. <laughs> what? That's incredible. Ellis. I wonder if he still got get it. More. I have a question about the James Beatty one. Chris, did you learn Latin at school? No. Josh, did no. you learn no, that? I didn't know. What school was James Beattie yeah, going to where? I always thought, yeah. I thought he's posh. I always looked at him and thought, he's a posh boy. Yeah. Um, I think we the, we can squeeze another Partridge quote in here. You've got to have a working knowledge of Latin if you're going to play up front for Southampton. Uh, there we go. Right. It's time you pack your bags, put it yeah. in the overhead locker. Let's go. So we've had a copy of, we haven't got a transfer rumour, but we've got an exciting rumour from a copy of Match magazine we've been sent by Ian Rigby. This is from Match uh, in um, September 8th, 99. We've got sent 10 copies. Um, I should draw attention to the, what, the uh, copy we've got with Nigel Clough on the front, uh, where there's a feature called Turning Japanese, Discover What Awaits Gary Lineker. <laughs> and I've got to say, this is a company that they've commissioned a drawing, which I can only describe as a racist mashup <laughs> of what Gary Lineker might look like if he was a Japanese man. Oh my. Oh wow. Oh my oh, wow. Like, it's, you know like in the films in like the 50s and 60s when a white man Like Mickey play, Rooney. Yeah, like, like Mickey a little Rooney. Chinese man. <laughs> Absolutely astonishing. Anyway. <laughs> now, do you remember when Wembley was moving to Wembley? Yeah, I remember those days. Yeah, wow. It wasn't always moving to Wembley. Listen to this from Match Magazine. Plans to build a second Wembley stadium have been rubber-stamped by government officials. Peterborough is the favourite to house the new 200,000 capacity stadium. Whoa. It's <laughs> absolutely baffling. I mean, this, the city of Peterborough would be 90% football stadium. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to Peterborough. Yeah. In fact, we went to Peterborough early yeah, this season. Yeah. Plymouth versus Peterborough. And they failed to sell out Peterborough <laughs> Stadium, which is like 10,000. 200,000 as well. That's not even yeah. a thing. No. I mean, that's that's a glitch on Championship Manager. Yeah. <laughs> they, Imagine that. Imagine a 200,000 seat venue hosting the League Two playoff final. <laughs> Torquay versus Leighton Orient. How bad is the view going to be? From the furthest seat from the pitch. Oh yeah, God! If you go like you sit at the top tier at the new camp, you can barely see anything. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to see what it would look like. <laughs> Send in your artist impressions. Yeah. Hello at quicklykevin.com.
One thing we promised last week is the start of another new feature. We've got too many features. Yeah, we have. I, I love it though. I can't make any more jingles. <laughs> so there's no jingle for this? No, I've made this one. Have you? Yeah. Okay, this is Footballers on Social Media. When the seagulls follow the trawler, it's because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea. Thank you. That jingle was worth it. Yeah. Lovely. Um, number one, we've got to start with Gavin Peacock. <laughs> if you're not aware of what Gavin Peacock's done since he was a kind of Chelsea midfielder stroke striker and then he became a BBC pundit. Yeah. And now uh, he is a minister in Canada. Not like a nice kind of church C of E. No, he's a sort of fire and brimstone. Like <laughs> yeah, fire and brimstone. Old, Old Testament. Sort of. I'm going to read you some of Gavin Peacock's tweets. Before we say that, I should say that I used to work at BBC Sport and I was there the day, Gavin Peacock's last day as a pundit. Oh, really? And that's when I... And the, Judgment Day? And I said, why is he leaving? They said, he's going to become a minister. He's leaving to become like a religious minister in another country. And I thought it was a wind-up. <laughs> I thought it was a joke. It was a joke. Yeah, no, yeah. He did leave to become a wow. minister, and I didn't realise this until like a couple of years ago when what we were about to see unfolded. Um, do you want to hear some of his tweets? Yes, please. God's divine design for marriage in male headship and female submission is complementary, not competitive. Wives, one of the preliminary ways you are to respect your husband is by gladly submitting to and encouraging his leadership. Oh God. <laughs> And I thought, because this came from an old article that I googled, so I thought, I wonder whether he's, you know, when like someone just has a, like a bit of a Twitter breakdown at night. Yeah, he's had <laughs> one bad day. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we've all been there. So should we just go on his, his what what he's on today? Let's just have a look at what Gavin Peacock's doing today. What's weird is that he's he's obviously tweeting this fire and brimstone, but his Twitter handle is G Peacock Eight. He's yeah. retaining the football like <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's like it really doesn't quite mesh. So, 17 hours ago, yep. the no's of God in his word are as important as the yeses. Refusal to heed a no in Eden led to every misery in the world today. Very sad to hear of the death of Freddie Shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little look at back into the old life. <laughs> If you've got any more 90s footballers on social media, please send them in. Hello at quickly.kevin.com. Right, in my eyes, the pundit up there with Gary Noble for me that I respect the most. He's been a great pundit. He was a great footballer in the 80s. It's easy to forget. He was a manager briefly in the 90s. He is Mark Lawrenson. Our guest this week has won it all as a player, then became the face of BBC Punditry for as long as we care to remember. Welcome to Quickly Kevin, Mark Lawrence. Quickly Kevin, what's that? Uh, well, yes. well uh, that comes from Quickly Kevin, Will He Score, which is a piece of commentary. Right. Are you familiar with it? No. It's when uh, David oh. Batty stepped up to take his penalty in 1998. And missed. And missed. But just before, Brian Moore turned to Kevin Keegan and said quickly Kevin will he score and he said yeah yeah no. he go- and we did this and then we'd had Jim Rosenthal on the show and he said yeah that actually tormented Brian Moore but it's too <laughs> late now we've changed yeah. we've chosen what the a, title what a great commentator do you, do you know David Batty I think 
apart from when he went back to Leeds as a guest with his kids, I think he's got twins, doesn't watch any football. Yeah, well, we've heard. Absolutely does not watch football. And he always, I was at Newcastle on the defensive coach, Kevin as well, Terry Mack and that, and he always said, not interested. Just didn't like it? No. And he was the only one who was allowed to live X amount of miles away from, from Newcastle because Kevin just said he'll be absolutely fine he was never ever late for training but he was first away it's, David Batty comes up time and again on this podcast people say he's a man of mystery that he used to get paid cash when he was a footballer <laughs> that he's off the grid now it was just it was great though it, it was it was just such a really really good lad good trainer good player it, it was a, you know what when I, when I coached him he was a better player than I realised Really? Yeah, I just thought he was a bit of an assassin at first, but he was, he was yeah. much better than that. Much better. Was he quite emotionless? We heard that after France... Emotionless? Night... Yeah. Well, he's from Yorkshire. <laughs> <laughs> what do you expect? France 98, when he missed the penalty, apparently the team got back to the dressing room, Batty had had a shower and had his suit on, oh, Beckham was still in tears. Aye. He probably said, what's all the fuss? <laughs> <laughs> Our bats wouldn't be bothered. Yeah. Um... So, to start, we were doing our research, and I thought, I'll get you a gift. So I put the words Mark Lawrenson into eBay. Go on. And I found, oh, no. I found a, uh, a copy of Shoot from 1981. And it just it had a picture of it, and then it just said next to it, Kevin Keegan, Mark Lawrenson. Thumbed the whole way through. I'm on the back. You're on the Why back. Why did I know that was coming? <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you any memory of doing this? Um... You, you this go is to a Q&A with you. Yeah, but you yeah. go to all these grounds now and all these old boys have got like stuff that you've done 30, yeah, 40, yeah. 50 years ago and you kind of think, have you got no life? <laughs> <laughs> it's, but, you I know, just it's, paid two quid for this, no, mate. <laughs> you've been robbed. I mean, well, I'm what saying, I'm going to do with this... On, you burn it. I'm going to ask <laughs> you. <laughs> I'm going to ask you some funeral. questions to oh, see whether Christ. you can get right. See how much your character I've has evolved. I've got on my O-levels and A-levels since I did that. Okay, Mark Lawrenson. Biggest disappointment? Mm, crikey, O'Reilly. Um, ankle injury? Losing to Scarborough in the FA Cup. Oh, uh, yeah. We were 2-1 up, from what I can remember. Should never have played. The ground was frozen at Scarborough. It's a real non-league. It was, excuse my French, it was a shit heap. Right? But <laughs> Not it, that you're bitter. It, yeah. <laughs> it was frozen. I was playing left side midfield. And... He came down from the stand just before the half time. Harry Catterick, the manager, came down and they scored right in half time. Yeah. And he never heard it. And he, <laughs> came, and he came in and, he, and I never forget, he came in and he went, Boys, keep it at this and we've won. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't know the score. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and uh, one of the senior pros obviously just sort of went, Boss, they've equalised. And he went, Oh, right. <laughs> we've got to beat 3 2. Favourite food and drink? Would drink big Guinness? Lambrusco. Oh my god. <laughs> Does that mean you've got more cultured or less cultured? I can't tell. More. <laughs> you say two quid wasted. This is the best money I've ever spent. Was it did I say pasta for food? You it's did. Close. Lasagna, I'll give you that, yeah. 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 Favourite well, singers? Stevie Wonder, maybe? Yes. Oh wow. It's a few, don't you? Is Billy Joel and Phil. Oh Billy Joel, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Still still true today? Yeah, I've, I've been seeing about four or five times. Not as many as Hanson. Hanson must have been 20 times. 20 I'll, times? I'll, 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 honestly, Al would go to um, New York and, and see Billy Joel. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Hanson knows every word of every song that Billy Joel goes <laughs> on. <laughs> honestly, he does. That's the stars in your eyes you want to see, isn't it? <laughs> we'll come back to that at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. Well, I looked at so Preston during the night, because this is 90s based, despite what we've done so far. Okay. Preston during the 90s, not a great period for the club. There were some highs. 
There was wasn't many. There was David Beckham scoring direct from a corner. Yeah. So was he already a superstar? No, 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 absolutely no way. He, he turned up, he was like a weedy little... Really? Yeah, but the thing is, I think all those kids at Man United who all came through, the Nevilles and Beckham and, mm. and Giggs and Skulls um, and Nicky Butt and that, they were fantastically educated in terms of football. Yeah. And apparently when he came... David, he was just, he was, you never had to say anything to him as a player. He knew when to defend, what to do, all right, those kind yeah. of, but he wasn't, they didn't say he was sensational. They, my favourite character that was involved in press in the 90s is John Beck. Um, plastic pitch. Yeah. Plastic pitch. So he was probably the archetype of the long ball manager. And um, he used to put sand in the corner of the plastic pitch to hold the ball up. Yeah, he used to put, he used to put it down the wings. Yeah. Basically. So apparently he used to whack the ball into the corners. Yeah. And it would one it didn't really bounce. It no. just deadened the bounce. That's and he also had he could get away with that. Well, he signed he signed guys who could throw it, had a long throw. Yeah. And he used to have towels placed all around the pitch. So they could dry the ball. Dry the, dry the ball, dry the hands and throw it further. He also uh Cambridge used to throw buckets of cold water on players before the match. To wake them up. Yeah. And he also moved the away dugout to a less advantageous position. But the football he played was crap. <laughs> At Preston, it was minging. Yeah. It was honestly minging. Um, so as a kid, I understand you're a keen Sabutio player, like, like, like we were. Yeah. And you used to pour cold water on the yeah, pitch yeah. to kind of... Like it was winter. Yeah, like it was winter, <laughs> just to get used to conditions. Right. Yeah. But when your parents... To make it like Scarborough away in the no. FA Cup. No, the other thing, the other thing, my problem was my favourite team, I suppose, like everyone, was Brazil. Yeah. They weren't very good in the water. Though, were they? <laughs> <laughs> to put the fire on. As they well. don't like. They don't like a wet Tuesday night yeah. stoke, do they? Exactly. Um, so to wind the clock back a bit, let's go to at the end of the eighties. You're playing for a Tampa Bay Rowdies. Mm. What was that like? The transition over to the states was it fun? <sighs> yeah, but that was all it was ever going to be. I was I was working at Sky. I was actually the first person ever. Who, you know what they do on the on Soccer Saturday now with, with Stella, yeah. me and Paul Dempsey. Um, started it and then Stelling came in and me and Jeff did the first ever programme but we didn't really have any rights it was it was all a little bit odd and when we did this programme this week and I just sat next to him we were talking about scores and all those kinds of things and Vic Wakeling God love him who Newcastle fan who was head of football at, at Sky and he said oh we're starting to get rights so he said next week we've got two guests are going to do what you did this week but we want you to sit with Stelling and it was bestie and Rodney Marsh. We did this programme, came off, and Vic's gone. Boys, that was absolutely brilliant. And I just went, never catch on that, will it? What's that all about? <laughs> Listening to someone who's watching football, talking about it. Viewers can't see anything. He went, trust me. I went, nah, you're all right. So when you first started punditry, were you nervous? Like, Can you remember the first time you did it? My first game for Radio 2 was Peter Liverpool League Cup. Peter beat them 1-0. So you knew the players, presumably, by then? I knew most of them, yeah. most of them. And honestly, um, Mark Wright had a torrid. He had an absolute stumer. And it, about three years later, I saw him and he went absolutely nuts. He said, you slaughtered me. I said, well, you were crap. <laughs> what do you want me to do about it? So you get the call for Match of the Day. Obviously, this would have been a programme you watched as a kid. and Yeah, I was allowed, it was the only thing I was ever allowed to watch late on Saturday. Because really? my dad was a footballer, wasn't Because he played for Preston and stuff. But um, I'd, be, I'd been at Newcastle. Because when I was at Sky, I went to interview Keith Gillespie. Yeah. And obviously it was Kevin Keegan, Terry Mack. They were up there. And I did this interview, came back, put all the stuff together and did the, the, the Saturday programme. But before we went on air, 
I got this. Oh, there's a phone call for you. Terry McDermott. I'm thinking they don't like something that obviously we're going to do, and he, he wants to pull the Keith Gillespie interview. And I'm like, Terry Mack, expecting, and he went, What are you doing tomorrow? I said, Nothing. Why? He said, oh, Kevin wants to speak to you. And I said, What about? He said, He just come up, he wants to speak to you. So I said, Okay. He said, We'll fly you up, fly you back. And the tomorrow was Newcastle 5, Manchester United 0. Oh yeah, okay. when Philip Alvarez scored that chip. But, yeah, and um, before the game, I go see Kevin. I sort of yeah. semi-knew him and everything. He said, fancy a job? Uh, defensive coach. And I went, I'm not sure. And I said, I don't mean that rudely. Like, I've just started on you know, this media gig and yeah. I'm getting like a few jobs and everything. And he went, you can still do some of that. I said, but you'll have to move up. I'll let you still do the games and all that kind of thing. Obviously when Newcastle weren't playing. And so rang him the next day and I said, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. And what did the job of defensive coach Nothing. Involve? I did absolutely nothing. <laughs> Honestly, I did absolutely nothing. But my CV looks great because we finished, we finished second. We, yeah. we got in the Champions League. It looks yeah. great. Let me see. But t- what happened that was... second isn't the thing that people remember about that no. season. <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't that season. Oh, it it season wasn't was... It wasn't when they blew it. Oh, but, it was season after. And by the way, they blamed Espria, but nobody in the club blamed Espria. It was nothing to do with him. In oh, really? No, yeah, he was he was unlucky. It was they they basically lost a lot of confidence and stopped playing. Yeah. But when they played and everyone bombed on, they were such a good such a good side. So Kevin said to me, three months, just have a look, train with us and all that kind of take you know warm up and take a bit, do a bit of coaching, but nothing defensively. You what for so a what defensive you, coach? Yeah, honestly, nothing, nothing. So what did you do? With I just staff? I trained every day. I was yeah. the first pick of the staff when they had a five side and everything. <laughs> I, I got myself fit and all that. Anyway, anyway, so after about three months, I said to Kevin, look, I said, I'm earning money under false pretenses. He said, no, you're not. Absolutely not. He said, I'm more concerned about the movement going forward and everything. And I went, right. He says, but what do you think anyway? I said, well, you've got the same defensive players that you've had for a few years and we need some new ones and and stuff like that. And um, he said, yeah, yeah, okay, I get that, I get that. And then the next thing is, they wanted to go public, didn't they? They had a share issue. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. And Kevin got the hump because this guy came in to kind of do the transition from a football club to a public limited company and all those kind of things and float themselves on the stock market. They offered him a new contract because it would look good for the shareholders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he was like a messiah up there. And he kind of fell out with them. In the end, Kevin just went, I've gone. And Arthur Cox was that still there. Arthur Cox was his like shoulder to cry on and all yeah. that. Cox was a like, real proper football man. And on the, on the Monday morning after the news, Cox went, right, you can do your job that you're here to do. And that was the first session that I took. Really? Yeah. really? Yeah. And then Kenny came. Yeah. Or dog balls as, as we know him. And um, he <laughs> so came. So did you stay on with Kenny? Well, I did for a while. And he, and he went to me, Laura, what have you been doing? And I went... <laughs> I said, I'm super fit. I'm, I'm thinking of making a comeback. <laughs> and I just said to I was honest with him. I said, hardly anything. Hardly yeah anything he says what do you want to do I says well what do you want to do and he went well he says I'm happy for you to stay so yeah. absolutely not a problem but I don't know I've got to you know sort things out and they needed a proper first team coach yeah and I haven't, I haven't got any badges anyway or anything like that I then got a phone call literally the next day from Niall Sloan BBC and, and he said uh, what are you doing and I said well I'm not quite sure because he's coming and he said fancy doing match of the day yeah so kind of thought about it Went to see Kenny. He said, look, been offered this job. He said, well, what do you want to do? I said, you know what? I want to go and do it. And yeah. I said, I don't, you won't need me because Kenny's like far more pragmatic as a coach yeah, yeah, yeah. in relation to Kevin. I said, you really won't. It was all about getting behind the ball. And I said, you, you really won't need me. And he went, okay. 
What was Kevin like as a coach? Was he? A... You know what? Kevin was fantastic at just the way he dealt with players. So many a time, and we had a Spreer, Ginella, Ferdinand Beersley, um, Shearer, all those lads. But a Spreer and Ginella needed a lot of loving. Did they? A lot of loving, yeah. And of course, you picture this like middle of winter, Durham. Right, no, Come on, pre- no, no, yeah, no, <laughs> no protection. Well, imagine the first thing when he saw snow, he wondered what. Oh, he's got that big coat, at yeah. least. And so I would take the warm up, and then Kevin would come over and how are they and all that? And I went, I says, well, you call them misfits. I said misfits, not not interested. He went, all right, and he would take the two of them. He'd just take them away and just play with them like they were kids. Really? Yeah, with the ball wow. and everything, and have a bit of fun. He did got, the other players were fine with that. Yeah, because he could, but Tino, everybody loved Tino, absolutely loved him, but he was a nuisance sometimes because he yeah. just couldn't be asked. CBA, <laughs> right? And and David was just David. <laughs> um, you know about the anagram of his name? No. Yeah. Oh, well, I can't I can't possibly tell you on air, but I, I'll write it down for you later. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners are now going to be furiously yeah. out of It's the best anagram ever. It's like Neil Warnock, do you know his? Yeah, yeah right. I mean. It's better than that. It's, <laughs> okay. it, Neil Warnock's Vanarama. Right, David Ginola's Champions League. <laughs> I'm telling you. So, um, so that's what he did. That's what he did with them, and he just basically kept them happy. And when they were happy, they were playing well. Although we played, I remember played at home against Arsenal, and it was like it was a Dixon, Adam, Winterburn, Bold could have been Keown, that team, good, really, really good team. And he, but he'd do this thing where he'd play on the left, and he used to cut inside, look up into the box, and Shearer and Les would make a run. And he'd turn round and try and beat Dicko or whoever it was. And, and he kept doing this in the first half while the steam coming out of Shearer's ears, aren't there, at half-time. We were about to go in to have a team talk and a half-time thing. And Kevin went, oh, just hold on a minute. He said, just give it a minute. Let them get in there. He'd spotted Shearer. Shearer came sprinting over. And obviously, Virginia. Yeah. Anyway, when we got in, which was after they'd all got in, Shearer had him up on the wall. Really? One, oh, yeah. And it was like, if you, French, if you ever do that again, he said, I will knock your teeth out. As in, because Shearer just kept running, making yeah, a run. Yeah. And he just went, just knock it in there. Uh, anyway, we were better in the second half, but I think we got beat. But that was Bloody it. Shearer did the team talk. Wow. <laughs> so Kevin Keegan, 29th of April, 1996, uh, Newcastle beat Leeds. Keegan goes on air and he has that famous meltdown that Alex Ferguson. D- did you, were you surprised by that or did you kind of expect that of Kevin Keegan? I think Kevin, I think Kevin was... Really, really honest. He couldn't hide anything. You just knew with Kevin yeah, all yeah. the time. Um, yeah, so I think I think oh, everyone kind of agreed at the same time, wasn't it? But of course, Fergie. It's Fergie, wasn't it? Yeah, Fergie. <laughs> Fergie's Fergie. But I'll tell you, you can tell him now if you're watching it, we're still fighting for this title and he's got to go to Middlesbrough and get something. And, and I'll tell you, honestly, I will love it if we beat them. Love it. And what about when he quit as England manager? Like, so honest, like you say, they, they, was it lost to Germany and he just said, you know what, I don't think I'm good enough. I think, I think Kevin is, is, in many ways, I admire him because he's, if he's not liking what he's doing, he's not a kind of person who would ride it out. He would just go, no, you know what? Yeah. This, is, this is not for me. Well, that's what he did, didn't he? Yeah. Didn't he play Gareth Southgate in midfield that day as yeah, well? Yeah, it was yeah. last game at Wembley, wasn't yeah. it, I think? Um, no, it was Kevin. So, punditry, back to the BBC, working with Des Lynham. Did he smell of, like, mahogany and just Fahrenheit 9-11? He looked like just such a Rolls-Royce of a man. Uh, Des was a superstar. He's a massive Brighton fan, right? Mm. And when I was oh, at Brighton, so Brighton, when I was at Brighton, I got a call 
saying, um, could you meet Des Lynham after training tomorrow? You need to do a, an article for the Topical Times football book. My God. <laughs> and I went, yeah, yeah, no problem. We had 11 hours on the lash. We were absolutely rotted. <laughs> and we were, we were dancing on the table singing. So I'd, I'd, I'd already met him. But he was, ju- he was God at the BBC, but he was God for all the right reasons. Yeah. And he was, he was like, we na- he was just so nice with everybody. He wasn't, he wasn't a horror or anything. Yeah. But, and, he, and he stood up to loads of stuff. He, Motti did an interview at Man United with uh, Fergie and Keane, Roy Keane had been sent off. And Motti asked him this question, so it was recorded, it wasn't live. Asked him a question about Roy Keane getting sent off and Fergie gave it to him really seriously just gave it to him mad really Mm. like eyeballs popping out and all that kind of stuff and so we see all this because the feeds come in because we've just been watching Mm. all the games and the feeds are still on and Brian Barr was in charge of the programme was the editor and Des went to Barwick you've got to show that you've got to show that you know that is completely out of order that you've got to show that and Barwick couldn't quite decide and didn't Des went oh, really? mad. Yeah, Des really? went mad. He went, you should show that. He didn't show it. But wow. Des, was, yeah, Des wasn't happy. And then you had a young Gary Lineker come in in those early 90s days. Yeah, well, we did. He came in to do Football Focus at first, didn't he? I mean, if you remember, he did Radio 5. He was hopeless. <laughs> no, he was. It was just a great advert for cricket when he started doing football. <laughs> and he, he say so himself because it was... The thing is, you can't train for it, can you? No. But obviously, he's a, bright, he's a really bright lad. And he got better and better and better. And then he started doing Football Focus. And then once once Des did one, he was in there. There you go. Yeah. And was it ob- was it obvious that he was going to be the one that was going to move up to replace Des? Well, it wasn't me or Hanson. <laughs> or Trevor. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. You used to do quite a bit of co-commentary as well. And we wondered what the grounds were like in the 90s. I remember at West Ham, they used to be like, you used to have to get there an hour before kickoff and go up a ladder sometimes. No, there's loads of that. Up. I mean, I think even now at Everton, the commentary position is... Minging. A lot yeah. of them were hopeless. Because Tottenham, when it'll cut to the commentators, it looks like the most uncomfortable place you could ever <laughs> Up in be. The yeah, yeah. In the rafters yeah, with John Motti yeah. next year. Well, it was. And I mean, um, Motti. Oh, Motti. I love Motti. But it was like it was like commentating with your five-year-old son, <laughs> because let's just say he was demanding. <laughs> before he commented, once he commented, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And it, you know the great thing about John Motson, forget all the stats stuff and the sheepskin and everything. Very rarely got it wrong, and don't forget if you if you commentate on England all the time, everybody's watching. Yeah, and the slightest mistake never made one. It was yeah. it was unbelievable. Otherwise, we'd name the podcast after it. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I tell you, and I worked with him loads, and two outstanding things were we did this commentary, live commentary, and I would only appear five minutes before the game started because I just stayed out of his way, and yeah. it was just we'd we'd talk for two minutes before, and I go, how are you pronouncing that? How are you pronouncing that? So you both pronounce it, whatever, and I go, and I would just disappear. Yeah, and the stand opposite the stand we were in was quite low, and the sun was still quite high, even though it was a night game, but it's summer. And it was absolutely roasting. <laughs> I was in a sheepskin coat. <laughs> no. So I'm kind of sat there. I'm soaking up the sun. I've looked at the teams and I've and I've written out how I think they're going to play. So spelt all the names phonetically. So that's all covered. He suddenly looked up from his notes and pointed to the sun, and it was hot like that. And he leaned in front of me and said, "Do something about that." <laughs> As in the sun. <laughs> 
Well, I used to work at BBC Interactive. We used to get the feeds of the commentary before the game. And I, the first, I remember when I first started working there, I heard Motti like going, oh, what's going, this is ridiculous. Yeah, like, what's yeah. going on? And I thought, God, he's having a nightmare today. And the, one of the guys on BBC Interactive went, it's like this every yeah. game. Everybody, everybody, <laughs> everybody thought he was precious, but he wasn't. He just wanted to make sure that he had Everything anything. Perfect. Yeah. But the other one, we did uh, the final of the Euros when France beat Italy. Oh, yeah, 2000. Yeah, and Motti's notes were a work of art, or are, not were. Yeah. And he has, like, green pen, blue pen, red pen. One sheet, absolutely fantastic. And at half time, I kind of just turn around and say something to him, knock my water all over his notes. <gasps> oh, it was, oh, wow. It was a sea of green, blue, and red. <laughs> and you couldn't read a thing. He was that. Gobsmacked. That scene in Rain Man. Yeah, I buy my undies at Walmart, right? <laughs> and he just looked at me, and I, I read him. Well, I said sorry. He said, Marty, but I'm not being funny. You know everything about them anyway. Where at this point, Crooks kind of looked at me and just went, No, no. <laughs> yeah, but he was, um, it was an education. Did you work with Barry Davis? Oh yeah, Lord Barrington of Davis, I used to call him. <laughs> he knows, that's what I call him, Lord yeah. Barrington. Yeah, He, he was, just, was a he wonderful was, commentator, Barry Davis. Just so completely different. Yeah, Just yeah. absolutely, Relaxed. yeah. I remember my first game ever, TV co-commentary. It was at Liverpool, it was Anfield, it must have been a European game. And Niall, the boss, took me to one side and just said, just remember, on the telly, co-commentary, less is more. And I went, yeah, no problem. I hardly spoke. <laughs> it's like being back at Newcastle. He wouldn't, he wouldn't let me speak. <laughs> But they were so completely different. Yeah. Honestly, really chalk and cheese. But, you know, and they wouldn't be the best of mates. They wouldn't yeah. be hanging around for dinner, but total respect be- between the two. And every time there's a big game, it'd be, is it Barry Davis, is it John Watson? Well, I think after a while, I think Marty had it ri- written in his contract. Oh, did he? Oh, yeah. Smart. Yeah. But I'll never forget the day in uh, USA 94 when Motti was told he wasn't doing the final. Oh, my God. He was apoplectic. Wow. Yeah. Um, so World Cups France 98 that looked like a lovely tournament lovely studio I mean, yeah what, how was that for you well that was my first major tournament so it was fantastic so Jim, Jimmy Hill was yeah. there on that did, like he Jim, go, did he go headquarters oh yeah, yeah. Jimmy, yeah. Jim, I'm not being funny Jimmy just loves being the centre of attraction in, in the best way. ways yeah. I mean yeah. I remember Al telling me a story that he hadn't been working with him long and they had to walk round afterwards and most of the crowd was still in they walked round the, the track and uh, Jim would always say if they're talking about me it's good and Al says so we're walking round and we just walked past there was like thousands still in like one of the ends and they started going Jimmy Hill is a W like and Jimmy Jimmy turned around to Al and said see told you they love me <laughs> <laughs> And Jim, Jim was just great, great fun. Yeah, wow. yeah. And he got, and he was, and he tell you, looked after him, Des. Really? Because, well, we were a lot younger, and we were that oh, stupid old buffer and all that kind of stuff, messing around. Des always looked after him, and if he'd had one too many, he made sure he got in, got home, got to bed. And Des was his, Des was his uh, man. Des is like the captain, isn't he? Yeah, yeah that shit. Yeah, yeah. So you'd have those guest pundits on those on World Cups. I'll be a Ginola. Yeah, oh yeah. But... At the French World Cup, right? Yeah. But I remember the first game that he did, because he likes a cigarette, do you know that? Yeah. And we were on the balcony, it was a really hot summer's day, and he was also... He likes a cigarette? Yeah, he loved it, he used to have a really? fag. I yeah. can't believe footballers did that even Yeah, then. yeah, he used to have a fag. Anyway, so the game had just started, and we were where this door opened about 50 yards away, and it was a door where we'd come out the lift, and this bloke came out, came down, and he said, uh, do you mind if I sit here? We went, no. Gerard Depardieu it was. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Although, I remember 
that because um, he should have really probably still been in that team. Yeah, and he'd made the oh, mistake right, right. in a few years ago against uh, yeah, Bulgaria with yeah, yeah, Gerard. Yeah. With Gerard, of course. So the French win, which just sort of went quite after the old, you know, went the good, went the this, but the Brazilians were rubbish, and now fit was Ronaldo, all that kind of stuff. And next thing is, David just punched the roof. I think he'd realised that he'd really oh, seriously right. missed the moment. Wow. He could have, he could have been a World Cup winner. He'd, oh. he'd, um, well, speaking of international footballer, you played under one of the biggest characters of '90s football for us, Jack Charlton, yeah. for Ireland. I am, you know, I'm the only person alive who played for Jack and Bobby. And Bobby, well, that was that was going to be my next the, question. Who was the better manager? Oh, Jack. <laughs> Bobby hated it. Did it? Bobby, Bobby absolutely hated it. Yeah, he really seriously did. Isn't there a story that he got that he used to get the opposition team sheet and be shaking, shaking. with fear? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. My I was, God. Well, I mean, I was I was a young pro, but. Because my father was, my stepfather was on the board, they said to me, because I was 17, I was still taking my A-levels at school and everything, but they said, it'd be better if you do all the other jobs with the apprentices, otherwise you're going to get loads of stick, which was absolutely fine. And one of the jobs on a Saturday in a rotor basis was when we played at home, you were in charge of the home team dressing room. So you'd be in there. You'd listen to what the manager would say before the game, all those. And then boys, the players would go out, maybe change after change the boots or socks weren't right or all that. You just sort of ran around. And I remember... He used three o'clock kickoff, and the the manager Bobby obviously used to go in with the opposition manager into the restroom, swap the teams, whatever, come back. And Bobby came back in, and literally he was stood there, and he was shaking. He was shaking, reading the opposition team out. But you know what? He was oh, sometimes in training he was just sensational. But why was he such a confident player yet such a like a fearful manager? Just didn't just, like it. Just didn't like and it. And I don't, th- I don't think he liked. Well, I know he did. He didn't like telling people that they weren't playing. But yeah, Jack but was born to manage. He didn't seem like he manager was phased. Manager moan. He was never phased. <laughs> didn't seem like it bothered nah, him. No, nah. no. Anything bothered it, Nothing bothered him because, um, you know, when he got the job, I mean, Bob Paisley should have got the job. They had the first round of interviews, Bob Paisley got, like, so many votes. This would have been so after Bob he had Paisley all the Bob success. Paisley wanted to be, yeah. and they didn't go with him. Yeah, no. They decided that they were going to have a re-vote just with those two. And in the in the revote, Jack got more than Bob, which was really odd. But they got the right man, insofar as it was a right you know right place, right time. And we used to do this thing where obviously there was no you know there was no text. I mean, in terms of getting older players, was was pretty hopeless. You were just told you're in the squad. Report mm. on Sunday into Dublin, and you know you saw we we paid for our own flights, and then you put your expenses in to get your the flight money back three months later from the Irish oh, FA. When you were playing for Ireland. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm telling you, in my kids' life, lots of times we'd, we'd get back after we played and we had an itinerary of where we'd been and where we'd been playing, which would have been helpful if we got it before we went. But listen, let me tell you, so all the lads knew that if you got into the hotel on the Sunday night and nobody was around, we were in Gibney's in Malahide, one of the best pubs ever, and we just got a Gibney's. And then the lads would turn up. And the great thing was, you can imagine, can't you? Lads turning up at different times. And, hey, how are you doing? And all that. Kind of, it, crack was brilliant. And we'd, yeah. get, we'd get back about sometimes one o'clock, whatever. And I was captain at the time as well. And in the morning, come down for breakfast. <laughs> it was, this was normal. Oh, we don't play till Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's nothing. So, and the next morning, we're about to go training. And we're in the foyer of the hotel. And Jack says, right, hold on. We need to have a meeting. And this is the first time I've sort of come across him thinking, oh, God, we're in trouble. Like someone's done something or whatever. And, and he went, right, he said, uh, who's captain? So I've gone. Put my He's hand asking up. who's captain. Yeah. 
<laughs> he, wouldn't, he wouldn't know from Adam. He called Paul McGraw John because he'd played against John McGraw. He used to play for Southampton. <laughs> he called him John. And, and so I've gone, Jack. And we called him Jack. Didn't have to call him boss. And he went, right, tell me about yesterday. So I'm like, and all the lads are taking a step back going, oh, we're in it. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, like, there's no one in the hotel when I got here. Where were you all? I said, well, Jack, we've, we've, we've always done this. And I went, I thought, this is me, this is me trump card because he played with Jarsy, didn't he? Oh, right. And Jarsy was my first manager. I said, even when Johnny was, was manager, we always, we just go to this pub in Malahide. And he said, all right. He said, and have you always trained early on the Monday morning? I said, well, yeah, it's like this, half ten, ready to go and go training. He went, right, two things. He said, next time we're home, he said, we don't train till two. And the second thing is, you invite me to give me a man <laughs> And we thought we've got a proper manager. <laughs> yeah. Never paid for a drink. Yeah. Didn't he? Is it true? true he used story. to pay in, He used to sign checks. checks. And they'd, they'd never cash from the bar. Well, never really? cash. Not so much in Dublin, but he'd go down the country and he'd go in the pub. And of course, he'd, he'd ask the landlord, could he cash this for me? And the guy would just give him the money and, and frame... But he, he never, he never. And was he loved by the squad? Yeah, and he couldn't remember people's names. I remember one game we played. I think it was only friend, friendly, and he forgot to name Aldo, John Aldridge. Yeah. And John Aldridge, like a little bit fiery, being a scouser, went, "Jack, you forgot me." And he went, "You can be sub. You can play next time." He just, and he just, he just <laughs> forgot to name him. But he named, he named eleven others, and Aldo's like fuming. <laughs> forgot he had him in the yeah. squad and yeah. just left wow. him out. It's amazing that yeah, yeah. he was the most successful manager in the history yeah, of the Yeah, yeah. But he got he got blokes as in he, he just got it. And he would he turned up and apparently the first time he turned up when they played Wales, he said to them, No defenders play in their own half, he'd just stick it in the channel. And he you know, went to O'Leary and all those kind of players and said, You just stick it in the channel and we beat them one nil. So late in the game, we're one nil up and I just kind of ran forward and went past Hansen. I was laughing when I went past him as well. <laughs> and try and get us a second goal with two or three yeah. minutes left anyway nothing came of it final whistle went we have loads of supporters there they're going absolutely nuts Jack wandered over to the pitch and came over to talk to him and everyone thought he came over to say oh fantastic goal and all that kind of stuff he gave him the biggest bollocking ever and he said why did you try and get a second goal I said well if it's 2-0 they're definitely not going to score he said no but if, if you'd been out of position it was 1-1 oh he murdered me oh really oh yeah he absolutely murdered me did he have a me. temper like oh we God. saw a little bit in 94. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, well, he hated that, he hated that trip. It was too hot. It was too hot. It was too hot for him. We played at, um, we played, obviously before Italy, yeah. I'd finished and I was working for radio and for Guinness. And we came up with this master plan. The guy from Guinness, who was in charge of Guinness, Florida, which is obviously bigger than Great Britain, he'd booked another room in the hotel for all the stuff he could possibly send me. T-shirts, polo shirts, caps, absolutely everything that was just adorned with Guinness and just said, if you can get loads of shots and get them in the paper, fine. So were you walking around dressed in... I was Mr Guinness, right? <laughs> nothing else, nothing else. So the, this, the, the rep who was in charge of Florida for Guinness came and said, what can we do? And I'm like, I'm not sure because, it's, you know, we can maybe take him to the bars in Orlando because that's where they were based. And I said, we'll get them by the, the, the pumps and the taps and drinking Guinness, even if they don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's all good. Because Jack just let you go anywhere. The hotel was open to punters and everything. He, he loved all that kind of stuff. And then the guy said to me, he went, what about this? He said, what if we ask Mr. Charlton, as he called him, if we could put a barrel of Guinness in his room? And I went, <laughs> brainwave. <laughs> Absolute eureka moment. 
So the next morning, he's down for breakfast, and I said, Jack, have you got a minute? Yeah, yeah, what's, what do you want? And I said, what about this? Come put a barrel of Guinness in your room. He went, oh, yeah. <laughs> but he was tight. He, was t- he, was on a, he got married in his own backyard so the chickens could eat the rice. Too, right? and, uh, and so we, put, we, we set up the still in the thing and everything and all that. Like, and I, I just remember, I don't know if, if BBC or ITV got in first, and he literally, he was like pulling the pints, which was great, and that it looked fantastic, but then he, he he put up this little bit of a washing line. He had these big white belly warmer undies on it and everything. <laughs> like, oh my goodness me, what is all this about? And it just oh, so that it went. It was like BBC News. It was news. It was just a massive wow, story, wow. right? Mad things like that just happened here with them. Wow. Yeah, that was amazing. Well, yeah, we had two more questions we wanted to know oh. the, behind the. Chris was obsessed with the idea of, um, have you ever been on the goal of the month panel? How does it work? What happened used to be, if, it, if you were on match of the day, when they decided goal of the month, yeah. you decided who it was. Oh, would it so be, you'd if have, it was you and Hanson, would no, you the, go? You, it'd be, so it'd either be Hanson, Brookin, me, Brookin, me, Hanson, and either Gary or Des, whoever presents, so there's three of us. Did it ever end in an argument? Uh, no, we used to have some fun over it and stuff like that. Um, Did you ever flip a coin when you couldn't decide? No. It was always... Yeah. And, you know, a typical thing we used to say, Des, Des always wanted someone who smashed on him from 35 yards. <laughs> and we'd go, typical, me and Hanson go, no, no. He said, if you want the one where there's like six players involved because more things can go wrong and all that kind of stuff. And I agree with that. I think there's been too many long shots. I think they've become Just long shots. Lucky, aren't they? They're what lucky. kind of goal do you like when you're picking a goal? Team like, goal. Team goal, passing, yeah. Yeah. long, like yeah. an Arsenal Lock style. Short. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, more things can go wrong, can't they? Not a Tony Yeboa 35 yards in off the crossbar a couple no. of times, no. no. As good, I mean, they look better. But I think all, all ex-pros would always say team goal. Right. Always. And our standard last question is, if we gave you the opportunity now to hit a button and you're back at the start of the 90s, would you go back and relive it all over again? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. It was great. I mean, I remember um, one of my first days in the, I told you, in the office and everything and didn't do anything. And uh, the kit man came in, and I, I couldn't find my boots, not my studs, but mm. the, the molded um, boots and everything like that. And he just, his name was Tom, and he, and he, and he kind of walked in, and all the offices were, were all open, and that open big office and stuff like that. And he was down the other end, Tommy Traxler, his name was. And I just never even thought about it, I just shouted, Tommy, and Tommy, have you found my rubbers? Well, it's not a good thing to say in America, is it? <laughs> <laughs> have you found my rubbers? Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. There we go, Mark Lawrence, a lovely man, Josh. I was great, wasn't it? Yeah, so great. nice. I will never drink a Guinness again and not think of Mark Lawrence <laughs> in, in Jack Charlton's hotel room. Right, every week we ask for your reviews on iTunes. Don't have to be five stars, but it helps. Exactly. And then we pick two of our favourites that feature a 90s reference. Michael decides his favourite and they get slotted into the titles of next week's episode. This week I've got two for you. Quickly, Kevin is so good that every other podcast needs to get gunged. That's from Dave Benton Phillips. <laughs> oh, nice. Lovely. AKA Alex BRFC. Another one. Stumbled upon this podcast when I misread a water timer and had some time to kill during an automatic lock-in in the Aztec zone. <laughs> Richard O'Brien. <laughs> AKA Richard Potter. Two there to choose from. Right. Richard O'Brien all the way. Yeah, yes, lovely. please. Mumsy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, time for the quiz. 
So last week we mixed it up. We had a 90s mastermind quiz. This week we've got one called Transfer Trail. And we'll just let you know that this is the last week before we implement a new format for the next episode where we are going to steal, where we're going to borrow the format <laughs> from classic 90s quiz TV shows. Oh, yeah. Different quiz show each week. Different quiz show oh, each brilliant. week. If you've got any suggestions for which ones we should do, please tweet or email in. And if you're a lawyer prepared to defend us, please get in touch. <laughs> right. So this week, Probably the quiz. Strike it lucky. <laughs> this week, the quiz is called Transfer Trail. Okay. So the 1990s saw an influx of world-class foreign imports into the Premier League. But can you name the club from which these players were signed? One point for each correct answer. And for the listeners, here are the players. Now. He's got past Coleman. Piotrowski in on goal. Is it there? Well, that's the sort of finish that persuaded John Gorman to buy this man. Jordi waiting in the middle. Oh, what a goal! This twisting, turning run, wrong-footing Jelly, and plan onto the head of Jordi coming in and it's a good one it's a hat-trick a hat-trick for Espria 3-0 wonderful stuff for Newcastle what did you learn from your time in the solitary sand here's Petit Okay, so to confirm, those players were Janaga Fjortoft, Jordi Cruyff, Dan Petrescu, Fastinho Aspria, Emmanuel Petit, and Roberto Di Matteo. Okay, so starting with the first one, Janaga Fjortoft. Josh. Tronheim? Tronheim, Chris. Tromso. The correct answer was Rapid Vienna. Oh, I just guessed a Danish, a Norwegian yeah. thing. Next up. I almost went with Oslo United. <laughs> <laughs> Next one, Jordi Cruyff. Josh. Barcelona? Ajax. Barcelona was correct. Oh, man, I get hammered. Dan Petrescu? Stoya Bucharest. That's what I've got. It was Genoa. Oh. Faustino Aspria? I can't remember. Is it a team called Shivas or something like that? It was Palmer, wasn't it? It was Palmer. Oh, this is a walkover, man. I'm mate. a single one. Transfer is... trail. Why don't we do this every week? <laughs> <laughs> Emmanuel Petit. Of Marseille, I've guessed. I think he was Monaco. He was Monaco. Oh, oh yes. Have you, have you got none? This, this is over. Have you got yeah. none? This has got none right. You're playing for pride now, Chris. Roberto Di Matteo. Roma. Lazio. Lazio. Oh! Hammering. 3-2 to you overall for yes. those keeping score, which I am. So, to the victor go the spoils. Josh, what is the song you'd like to play out the show with? Can I have On a Ragger Tip by SL2? <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting that. 
Thank you very much. We'll Thanks see you listening. next week. See you next week when we are joined uh, by James A. Caster. Exciting. Bye. Bye. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.